I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. I'm an amateur, to be sure, although I do teach classes in in, uh, baking sourdough bread. But you, Dave Corbett, Prior to your years as a farmer uh, in dairy and now in beef, you were a professional baker. Oh, boy, that seems like so long ago. I uh, worked for a bakery called, uh, actually, I went to a Dunwoody Institute back when they had baking classes. And then I worked for a bakery down in Red Wing, Minnesota, called Brashler's Bakery. And then I left there and worked for the Pillsbury Company in their uh, research and development uh, labs. So uh, and then I went farming. And then you, <laughs> yeah, you went from high tech uh, to um, to farming, high yeah. tech baking, yeah. to farming. You know, today we have with us as a guest someone who really ties numbers of amazing values together. It is David, initial S, Cargo, who uh, is one of the founding members of the St. Paul Bread Club, which is this. A, a, amazing group of of amateur bakers and professional bakers who come and uh, share their loaves that they've baked. They actually do some competition, share conversation, and learn about the, oh my goodness, the many facets of bread baking together. So he's one of the founding members of this very active bread club, as well as a former baker at Trotter's Cafe and Bakery, and a former baker at the St. Agnes Baking Company, which is a terrific company there in St. Paul. He's also been featured in Kim Odie's cookbook, Baking with the St. Paul Bread Club. Now, David is is really interesting, too, in that not only has he this great background in in baking, but he has uh, an amazing interest and wealth of information about community ovens. Those uh, structures that used to be central to so many communities, especially in Europe, I think, um, where people didn't have ovens as we do now, everybody in their own kitchen, but rather shared this one large resource. And he's going to tell us more about Ah, that. And he's pulled all of this together in a way that makes wood-fired oven baking accessible to you and me because he teaches a class in how to build a portable wood-fired oven in just an hour. Really? Yes. So we have on the line with us David. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Well, David, you and I have spoken before. You and I have met before with the St. Paul Bread Club, and I've just been fascinated by this uh, research that you've done in wood-fired community ovens. Can you give us a little primer on that? That's a concept that might be so unknown to most of us. Well, it's definitely uh, not part of the modern era for Americans, but it is certainly part of our heritage. Uh, It basically, from our point of view, culturally, traces back to uh, the medieval times in Europe, Mm. where um, 
instead of having one oven per household, it made more sense just from an economic uh, standpoint in terms of actual use of your muscles to have one oven that was heated up and monitored by one person for a village so that everybody could consolidate a lot of the cooking chores. So instead of having a village full of ovens to heat, haul wood for, etc., you had one central location, and so you had a certain amount of specialization where there was a village baker, and then people could bring their, their dough and such to have it baked in the community oven. Wow. So this thing, I would guess, would be fairly large, and it would take a long time to get it up to heat, I would think. It would potentially take a very long time to heat up, but only one person would have to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the thing about ovens is we take for granted that when we turn the knob, the oven gets hot. Right. Back when every, you know, unit of energy was from split wood or something similar, um, then that meant that there was a lot of energy required, manual energy, to split wood, haul wood, get it into an oven and get it started. So it made sense for there to be kind of a, a central oven. If you look back at Minnesota history, mm-hmm. we actually have things like Fort Snelling or in uh, Wisconsin, Fort Follavois, where you, you had basically the military base oven that was responsible for cooking things for dozens or hundreds of people. How big were these, these structures? Uh, it varied according to um, the size of the location. So some villages were big, so they had big ovens, and some villages were small, so they had smaller ovens. So it's, it's hard to typify. Ah. But you might expect a village oven to be what we would say, you know, four to six feet inside and, you know, capable of, of baking dozens of loaves of bread at once. In these ovens, what would they be made of? I mean, what would be the, the materials that would be used to construct one? Well, um, there are different kinds of ovens. Uh, typically, you would wind up with, with brick and mortar, or in places where, where brick uh, was hard to find, you might find heat-proof stone. Uh, there is actually a tradition of clay ovens that comes from Quebec. Hmm. So there's a lot of uh, ovens that might be what we would consider adobe, where it's just uh, you know clay and other materials, and there's just a lot of it so that you wind up with a freestanding dome. So if you go to the American Southwest, you can see uh, Native American ovens that were, were essentially adobe. Mm-hmm. So it's just dried clay with other things mixed in to add thermal mass and other things mixed in, other layers for, for insulation. So it typically was whatever materials were on hand. In these ovens, um, the internal part of it, the part where you put the bread, um, how would you heat that up? Well, they're, they're typically called retained heat ovens or black ovens, and that would mean that you start them up by starting the fire inside, mm. and you might have the fire going for four or six or even eight hours, and all of that heat soaks into the floor of the oven, the hearth, and into the walls and in the roof, 
And then when it's time to bake, you take all of that fire out, and that oven might stay warm for another 8 to 12 hours. Wow. So it's a long-term process, but you wind up starting out with uh, a very hot oven in the beginning, Mm. and as the day goes by, the temperature in the oven drops. So you might start out baking things like flatbreads in the beginning and then switching to things like uh, breadsticks and then loaves and finally roasts and then roasted vegetables. So you keep track of the entire heating cycle and you can do days worth of cooking in one of these. So that baker had quite a bit of knowledge, didn't he or she? Yeah, it was definitely institutional knowledge, probably passed down by you know, apprenticeship. It would seem to me, David, that it would take uh, quite a bit of coordination to uh, have things, uh, when you're doing it for a whole community, to have things uh, only enough to fill the oven ready uh, as time rolled along. In other words, you couldn't have all the bread ready to go at once. Um, You know, you definitely do loads and loads and loads. One of the, the reasons that I found that there's a link between sourdough bread and wood-fired ovens is that we're used to breads made with commercial yeast where they rise fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And that means mm. that there's a fairly narrow window when the bread can go into the oven uh, before it's overproofed or underproofed. Whereas with sourdough, it's a very slow rise process, and that means the window of opportunity is much longer. So there are actually wood-fired oven bakeries around the U.S., and many of them specialize in sourdough because it gives them that additional flexibility. Not all of the baking that would be done in a community oven would be bread, but, you know, there's an opportunity there where, you know, you have to have about a half an hour for the bread to bake, so you have to have people showing up with dough that can just sit without getting out of control for a half an hour or so, so it can wait their turn in the oven for the next cycle. And sourdough fits that bill very nicely. The image that that emerges in my mind, the picture that gets painted as you speak, David, is that of a community that really had to cooperate in order to make use of this, this shared facility. And also, you needed to have cooks that understood how long something needed to cook and, and was, were really prepared for that day. Because let's say I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, the head, I'm the head cook in a household of five or so. Well, I had the bread that I had to cook. I, I had to bake for that week. But I also was thinking about the roast and the steamed puddings and all those vegetables. So all of those dishes would have had to have been prepared and then brought to that uh, oven at different times during the day, I would think. Quite likely. Uh, one of the things I try to teach people in my classes is that you know people have been baking in ovens for like an estimated 6,000 years. And the important thing is that you don't cook measuring the temperature and you don't cook measuring time. You cook according to whether the food that you're actually cooking is done. You know, if you have um, a oven that is hot, I've baked bread in an uh, oven as hot as 560 degrees. 
you might have a loaf of bread that's done in 15 minutes. So you can't, you can't assume that you put the bread in the oven, set a timer, and it will be done 60 minutes later. Mm-hmm. You put the bread in the oven at whatever temperature the oven is at, and the bread is done when it's done. When it's done. Yeah. So let me ask you, when, you, when you've kind of done your research, and obviously you're very familiar with wood-fired ovens, how hot do they get? Well, um, some of the commercial pizza bakeries in New York City run their ovens at 1,000 degrees. Whoa. But those are primarily uh, gas-heated for convenience. In the ovens that I teach people how to build in my class, uh, we started baking when the oven might be as high as 960 degrees. My gosh! All right. Well, well, let's get to that part of our of our conversation. You know, you you bring so many excellent pieces of information together, David, because of your research in these community wood fired ovens, which are permanent structures. But you've you've kind of developed a class that makes wood fired ovens really accessible to almost anyone. Can you describe what it is that, that happens in your class? Certainly. Um, I got interested in wood-fired ovens about 2007 when I visited the pizza farm, so-called, near Stockholm, Wisconsin. And I really enjoyed the experience, but the kind of oven that they use required much more talent and skill than I had. There were other kinds of ovens that I had seen, the clay ovens I'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and those take a lot of time to build and having the right kind of materials handy. And I discovered that there is a oven that is not very much regarded that's built out of stacked fire bricks. And so I did some experiments in uh, 2009 with some friends from the St. Paul Bread Club And we enjoyed the experience so much that I decided other people might be interested. So I approached a couple of places in 2010 and started teaching my classes uh, in the Twin Cities and in Prescott, Wisconsin, Hmm. at the the Borner Farm. And I've been teaching it ever since. And in my one-day class, I teach people how to build stack brick ovens. I give out several different designs so people can choose what size they want. Um, Everybody gets hands-on. And then we fire that oven up, and I teach people how to make the dough for naan, pita bread, pizza, and bread. And then in the afternoon, after the oven's been fired up for about four hours, we bake almost all of that in about 45 minutes. Wow. And depending on the wood supply and how much people are paying attention to keeping the oven fired up, the hearth of the oven can be anywhere between 750 degrees and 950 degrees. Is that the temperature which you'd be making your flatbreads like a pizza or a naan? Yes. Um, I understand from what I read about uh, one of the wood-fired oven baking companies in San Francisco, that they start doing skinny baguettes at 600 degrees. Mm. So above that, I pretty much do nothing but flatbreads. Got it. Got it. And so pita bread, naan, naan is an Indian flatbread, um, and pizza. Those are your, you know, those are some of the, f- the, the flatbreads that with which 
many of us are familiar. Those would cook at those highest temperatures. And how long would it take to bake a pizza at that temperature? Uh, At the highest temperatures, the pizza might be done in under a minute. Under a minute? And, And that would bake the bread as well as the toppings? Yes. Um, there are some um, traditional Neapolitan pizza places in the U.S. Punch Pizza in the Twin Cities would be an example of that, where uh, the pizza police uh, specify that the oven should be at least 800 degrees, and the menu at Punch says 800 degrees, 90 seconds. In this class, and it runs the full day, it's like from 9 to 5 or uh, roughly that, that long, how many students do you tend to have per class? Oh, it varies quite a bit. I've had as few as three and as many as 21. You've got classes set up for 2017, don't you? Yes. All right. So where would people go in order to find out about your classes and to register? Well, um, right now, my classes are, all the registration is handled by the sites themselves. I have scheduled classes in five states this year. All right. So what's the website people can go to in order to uh, find out about your classes? Well, the simplest thing to do generally is to just do a Google search for Minnesota Oven Class or Wisconsin Oven Class. And the URL for my classes is is relatively complicated. (laughs) I could tell it what you is. I could tell you what it is. But that's, it's, it's usually faster to search. Good enough. And I also have it on my website, so people can go there and take a look. Now, uh, you would mentioned uh, that you not only build the ovens, that you bake. So I would assume that uh, maybe even people who aren't all that familiar with uh, baking could come and learn uh, not only how to make the oven, but also how to mix up uh, uh, bread dough, couldn't they? That, that's correct. In fact, uh, I have the class specifically designed. So if somebody says, I want to know how to build a brick oven, but I don't have any skills for it, and I want to bake wood-fired oven pizza, but I don't know how to make pizza dough, by the end of the class, they'll both know how to build the oven and how to make the dough and everything else they need to make the pizza and the pizza bread and the naan. Wow. So you can come in knowing nothing, and you'll leave being able to do all of the stuff that we in class. David, how big are these portable wood-fired ovens? Uh, they vary in size. Generally, they're, um, they'll fit within a four-foot by four-foot footprint. Okay. So the smaller ones are typically um, 27 by 36 or 27 by 45 inches. So they're pretty small. And how high are they? It depends on whether you put them on a base. If they're not on a base, then they're about 22 and a half inches. Oh, so this is a low-profile oven that can be made even in a backyard. It's it's intended for people to put in their backyards or, quote, up at the cabin or up at the lake. Uh, Because the ovens go together without any tools, basically, you don't need running water or electricity. Hmm. So they're ideal for environments where you have no utilities. One of the places I taught the class was a cabin in the woods belonging to the Red Wing 
uh, Environmental Education Center. And it was literally a cabin in the woods. I think there was a, a uh, an outhouse and a, a hand-pumped water supply. Most people would only ever build one oven. And so they have to get it to be the right kind, the right size, and in the right place, which is a lot of decisions to get right the first time. Mm-hmm. My ovens, uh, they can be built smaller or larger. So if you build one that's too small, you can say, oh, I need to go buy more fire brick. That's you buy more fire brick and build it bigger. Or if it's in the wrong place, you can take it apart and move it. So it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly flexible thing for a brick oven. That means, for example, because it is not a permanent structure, you also wind up sidestepping a lot of potential things with building permits and such. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Some of them have even moved back and forth between multiple locations. Is it, is it uh, an expensive thing to do? The typical cost for the fire brick um, around the country for a, a working oven, I found, is about $550 plus or minus $50. One of the things about teaching in multiple locations is I've taught in Washington, in Maine, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. With luck, I'll be teaching at Dakota College at um, Botno. Uh, this summer, uh, which will be North Dakota, which will be my fifth state. And the brick varies by region of the country mm. because it's heavy and doesn't ship well. The, su- the supplier tends to vary. And so the size of oven that I use in Washington and Maine is different from what I use in Minnesota and Wisconsin because their fire brick is less dense. But it also turns out to be cheaper, so it turned out the cost actually was about the same. In this portable unit, let's say I wanted to build one, how much could I actually bake in it? Well, I tell people in class they can do 20 to 40 nine-inch pizzas per hour. Gee. And that it's, it's really kind of a party thing because it, you know, it takes a long time to get the, the fire heated up, at least two to four hours, depending on the size of the oven. So it's... It's a, definitely a social occasion kind of thing. But you, I, in a typical class, without people being trained, in that 45 minutes, we'll typically do like 12 pieces of pita bread, 10 or 11 pieces of, excuse me, 12 pieces of naan, 10 or 11 pieces of pita bread, and maybe nine pizzas in 45 minutes. Now, can I do sourdough ba- bread baking in this? You can. But these are, are low-mass ovens, and so they cool off relatively quickly. So you might get one or two loaves of sourdough bread, or you could maybe do a half a dozen loaves at a time. You know, they're not optimized for bread. It does mean that if you are already heating the oven up for a party and doing lots of pizza, doing some sourdough bread at the end is a good use of the residual heat. Oh, okay. So you can actually get some dual purpose out of this. Yes. In fact, I've threatened to include a, me- a menu uh, or a recipe for meringues as part of the uh, handout for the class. So when the oven is cooled off to a couple hundred degrees, you can still bake some meringues.
visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.